Dotnet Rocks episode 791 with guest Julie Lerman. Recorded live Thursday, July 12th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're here, as we always are, twice a week. What's up, my friend? Twice a week, every week. Yeah. Ah, uh, you know, summertime, living is easy. Fish are jumping. <laughs> Cotton is high. Yeah. That's Gershwin by George. There you go. <laughs> hey, better know framework time. Let's jump in. Hit me. Let's jump in the water, jump in the swimming in the, hole. Jump in the swimming hole. So, What do you got? So I'm going back to our friend, Mr. Link, Mr. L-I-N-Q, Link. L-I-N-Q. And we have the enumerable dot single, or I-enumerable dot single of T-source. Mm-hmm. And this returns the only element of a sequence and throws an exception if there's not exactly one element in the sequence. It's a little esoteric, but I guess, you know, on the off chance that you only expect one element, and if there isn't an element and only one element, you want to know without having to go through the pain of checking hmm. yourself. However, how painful is it? Well, you have to check to see that the count is one and that the object is not nothing and or not null and all that. So if you want, however, to get a, have a, a little more flexibility, you could use uh, enumerable of T dot single or default. Hmm. And single or default returns the only element of a sequence or a default value if the sequence is empty. And this method throws an exception if there is more than one element in the sequence, just like single does. Right. However, there's a if there's a default value, it will not throw an exception. Is this just fear of nulls? Is that what this I is? I think so, yeah. It's null fears. Nulls are not your enemy. Be friendly to nulls. That's right. Got a link for me? Yes, I do, Richard. It's a tinyurl.com slash enumerable single of T. And no, there are no spaces in that. If you have to ask, you don't understand HTTP. <laughs> and I'll add that link to the show so that everybody can find it. Innumerable single of T. Yes. So who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of Julie's last show, which was back when we first got the comment engine, right? That was uh, 685, and Julie interacted with the uh, the listeners back and forth a bunch of times. So that, that was, was way back in 2011. Oh, my goodness, yes. About a year ago when this, compared to when this show was recorded, and the comment I grabbed is from Anthony Lopez, who says, uh, Richard, thank you for calling out the version 2 problem for what it really is. You described one possible solution to this problem by having Visual Studio detect the differences between the development and production database schemas and scripting out an upgrade rollout path for us data migration and all, which is the feature built into Studio 2010. If you or anyone else can give us the basic steps of project template time on how to do this with Visual Studio, I, for one, would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. That's Anthony Lopez. And actually, what I like about this comment is that it just goes on as another listener responded to it and said, hey, you want to tie it in with a database project and uh, pointed to the uh, database designer generation power pack. And uh, that will help you, you know, generate that. That was all stuff compensating for the older version of uh, Entity Framework. Yeah. So uh, good stuff going back and forth there. Yes, you want, especially in Studio 2010, where now every version of Studio 2010, I think except Express, has all the database features. So that real clever mechanism that allows us to simply say, hey, here's the new database. Now generate the script that would modify the old database to the new one, no matter where you're coming from. That's all just automatic. So you just do that inside of a data project. So, Anthony, thank you for your comment. Admittedly, it was 11 months ago, but that doesn't mean the mug isn't new and shiny. So a mug is on its way out to you. And if you'd like a mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. 
And before I introduce Julie, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with over 250 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, 12 to 15 new courses every month, a free 10-day trial, 200 minutes of access to the library, and a wide range of developer courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything you can think of that's Microsofty, including complete coverage of Windows 8 and .NET 4. Five. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. And let's welcome back to the show today, Julie Lerman. Julie is a Microsoft MVP, .NET mentor, and consultant who lives in the hills of Vermont. You can find Julie presenting on data access and other Microsoft.NET topics at user groups and conferences around the world. Julie blogs at thedatafarm.com slash blog and is the author of the highly acclaimed book series entitled Programming Entity Framework. Follow Julie on Twitter at at Julie Lerman. Welcome back. Always good to have you. Hey, guys. It's always fun to talk to you, even if we don't talk about Entity Framework. <laughs> yeah. except those the your introductory comments the one about the letter that was in response to our conversation 11 months ago mm-hmm. and your mention of plural site both had me biting my tongue why well the first was when last time we talked was before a fabulous new feature was added to entity framework which is called the migration support uh, code first migrations so all that stuff we talked about of having a workaround for evolving your database as your entity entity model evolves, uh, you don't have to do all that extra stuff. There's mm-hmm. built-in support now to migrate the database. Which okay. Is it just great. works. And I just happened to have done one of my courses for Pluralsight on that very topic. I did a 70-minute course specifically on migrations. Well, isn't that cool? How convenient. Yeah. How, yeah. It's just and how long so is your, timely. How long is your Pluralsight course? How many hours? Uh, well, that that course is 70 minutes. Um, I've got, a, I don't know, six or seven courses ranging from two to three and a half hours or so. Wow, great. But it, that wasn't all. There were three things you talked about before you introduced me. I've mm-hmm. only mentioned two. Yeah. The third is your letter that you got about singular default. Mm-hmm. The link, the link method. I just, like a half an hour ago, got an email that's a response to people submitting errata for, for uh, my book on the O'Reilly website. And this person was complaining a little bit that we hadn't thoroughly discussed singular default well enough we just because this was the smaller book we had just kind of left it at as um i was actually talking about the new find method mm-hmm. find method behind the covers uses singular default so we said well find uses singular default and singular default queries for top two just to make sure that you only have one mm-hmm. and he was saying that doesn't make any sense at all why wouldn't you query for top one and so you just explained the whole thing very, very clearly. Oh, well, good. So I'm going to go back and change my uh, response to that and say, well, listen to show number <laughs> <laughs> XYZ on .NET Rocks. You'll get a better explanation. Yeah, it's just a, you know, there's always gotchas. You know, there's always sometimes a better way to do something when you run into a brick wall. It's the way I look at it. Yeah, there's always I- another way. And the problem, though, is it's just too hard to know it all. Yeah. I mean, as much as we try, as much as we think we might be know-it-alls. Well, you know, I think there came a point in, in, I think, our, and when I say our, I mean you, Richard, me, a a lot of our guests. When we were first starting .NET, you could, you know, you could be a sort of an expert on things and have stuff on the tip of your brain. And there got to a point. Or back in the 80s. Yeah, way back in the 80s. <laughs> there got to a point, though, where we just decided, hey, um, you know, it's all out there on the internet. Let me improve my searching skills <laughs> instead of my retaining skills. So, I, or, or my writing skills. I always say this is why I wrote those books, because I can't remember all that stuff. I just had to write it down. Yeah. 
This is just you <laughs> unloading pieces of your brain into a format so you can go find it again. Yes, but you know, I had to go to book format because the internet isn't big enough. <laughs> <laughs> so what is new in Entity Framework 904? <laughs> you mean the you mean the third version? <laughs> nice. What are they calling it? They are calling it five, aren't they? Actually five, because the last one was four. Right. And they're now um, uh, sticking with the idea of using semantic versioning. So this is a major change from the previous version, which was four, and therefore it has to go to a new major number. And the funny part about that was they named it four, skipping two and three. Yes. To align it with the version of .NET. So yes. the temptation is to call this EF 4.5. That would make sense. It's. I think I spend more time explaining Entity Framework versioning <laughs> than anything else. <laughs> so the third but, version of Entity Framework is Framework 5, which ships with .NET 4.5. <laughs> yes, but it's, it's actually like the eighth version. Is it really? If you think about all the, the new oh Get releases. Oh, my God. <laughs> because we had entity framework 4 that came out with dotnet 4 and then 4.1 and then the version whose name will go down in history and never be remembered i I can't remember sp1 update 37 or something (laughs) then they went to 4.2 and then 4.3 and then 4.3.1 so now we're in a new major version the new major version is because some of the underlying stuff in Entity Framework that lives within .NET, that got changed. So, so it's a new major version. So let me ask you this just as a sort of a, just to get the ball rolling here. Um, it, it seems to me like, you know, more people are are looking towards HTML5 and JavaScript as a, as a programming model that can be as, as close to ubiquitous as possible. And there's still a lot of .NET programming going on, of course, and a lot of stuff on the server. But, you know, there's more of an emphasis on lightweight services and RESTful services and things like this and a lot of JSON and a lot of, uh, you know, this kind of technology. Are are Do you think the allure of something big and nasty like the Entity Framework is is still there? Oh, yeah, because Entity Framework is a data access framework. It stays on the server in the background. It has nothing to do with the, the client side. So, uh, you know, if you're, you're doing HTML5 and, you know, JSON and all that, you're going to be calling services. So Entity Framework can be behind the services doing all the data access work. Right. So we need to, we need to think of this as a server-side framework, not a client technology like an ADO, for example. Correct. And, and it's really, you know, I've been focusing a lot on that lately, trying to make sure people get that. Like if you're really architecting applications, Entity Framework goes in the back end. Mm-hmm. So what goes to the client? OData? It, it depends if you want to use OData, but you can put, um, you know, you've got Web API also. You, mm-hmm. So you can have Entity Framework behind your Web API calls and then still have a restful way of calling services, calling into the web, web API. And you don't, all you know is you're calling those web API operations, not, um, you know, you don't have to know anything about Entity Framework. Or you can put them, you know, if you have something more complex, you put them behind WCF services, but just keeping it in the back end. Right. So what do we get new in, in version 5? Well, in... Inside of .NET, the Entity Framework piece, the big core that's inside of .NET, we've got a big, big performance improvement. And what's really nice about that is you don't even have to do anything. It's just there. Hmm. So it, that's huge. And, and as a matter of fact, what's really, really nice about that is you don't even have to change your applications. You don't have to go tool up and get Visual Studio 2010 and start coding against .NET 4.5 targeting your applications. If you take a .NET 4 application and run it on a machine that has .NET 4.5 installed, then everything Entity Framework needs to use the new performance features is right there, and it will just happen for free. 
So it, you know, if it's, that means putting it on the server, obviously, if, you know, your server is where the data access is, putting .NET 4.5 on your client machine isn't going to do anything. Right. Um, so that's, that's really, for me, I think that's the most important thing, performance improvements. It's, um, there's performance improvements across the board, but the big, uh, really major piece is query performance improvement because what they're doing now is automatically uh, caching, not the data, but caching the SQL because it's a lot of when you go from like a link to entities query and then have to process it and figure out what the actual SQL is that's going to get sent to the database. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a big task for Entity Framer because it's got to read through all the metadata and figure all that out. So now what it's doing is it's automatically caching the SQL queries along with a hash of the link query. So it can, it's not exactly a hash of the link query. It's more like the command tree or something like that. Um, but anyway, so anytime you execute a query, instead of going through the process of figuring out the SQL, it'll check in the cache first to see if it's already got it. Even if, even if there's, you can use that with parameters and things like that. So it'll reuse the SQL. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, makers of Telerik Open Access. You're just about to start another huge .NET project aiming to deliver a high-performing data access application in the shortest term possible. One way to go is wisely allocate a few weeks of dev time in the project plan to create a robust hand-coded data access layer. Or there's always the easy way out. You can save yourself tons of development and testing time and focus on the business logic that your customers demand. Here's Telerik Open Access ORM, the tool that takes care of the data access layer of your app so you don't have to. Open Access ORM generates all the code you need in just a few points and clicks through a powerful visual designer and works with all popular databases and .NET platforms on the market. Download a free trial at Telerik.com slash OpenAccessRocks and get instant control of your data. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Didn't, didn't Microsoft say that it, there was something like a 67% performance or 65 or something over oh, version that, 4? That number was uh, in a little section of their performance, their blog post they did on performance, where they had started by saying that we'd love to say we got 600% improvement across the board. But um, they, they have a test bed that they keep just keep running all the time where they can test something that is somewhat like a real application, not just like, you know, mm-hmm. find customer by ID 5,000 times as your performance test. And that that's where they said that they, they saw a 67% improvement improvement across the board just for everything that the application was doing, not mm. just repeated queries. Nice. I mean, it's a, it's a, I love a drop in improvement like that. Yep. But I, I thought that five was radically different from 4.3. Like they did a lot of changes. Well, the, so the performance, there's actually, it's really funny. Um, you, Carl, know you, as, on behalf of DevPro Connections, you asked me to do a what's new in EF5 article. Mm-hmm. And my first response when people keep asking me about, you know, what's new in EF5, I'm like, well, it's really only, Four or five things. <laughs> Only. Okay. Yeah. But but then there's a lot of little things. But the four or five big things are the performance. We've got enum support. So there's enum support built in, and it's supported by code first, and it's supported by the designer. So whether you know using model first, database first, or code first, you can take advantage of the enum support. It's the sweetest in when you're using code first because you just write enums the way you've always written them and code first will just figure it out. So that's huge. And it was actually the most requested feature, most voted for feature on user voice hmm. by leaps and bounds more hmm. than please improve performance. <laughs> right. You think, you'd think performance would be well, more Well, enums are anyway. one of those things that you think are kind of trivial until you actually need them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I jumped as soon as they were out. I'm like, yes, like, you know, it's like, it, yeah, because one of the problems with the support not being there, especially if you're using code first, you code away, you write your enums, and there's no indication that they're not working, that the values aren't getting stored. You don't get a warning that said, hey, 
We notice you're using enums. By the way, be careful because that data is not going to get stored. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, now it just works. So it actually is big. Another um, feature, new feature is that there's support for spatial data. So geography and geometry data types are supported, again, you know, whether using the designer or whether using code first. So that's really nice because, A, you, you know, because before we had to use blobs and then do a lot of extra coding to uh, get data in and out. But now you've got the, the type. You can have your properties of your classes be uh, DB geography type, for example, um, and then you can just, you know, store point data or multiple point data or, you know, a whole big uh, blob that makes up. A, I, I don't I shouldn't say blob. I don't mean a blob data type, but, you know, a whole bunch of points that make up uh, an area on a map or something like that. So you can store that directly without having to do any transformations and you can query against that. So you can do a query that like you you're looking for distance so you can actually use the the real properties of the geography data types. Now, do you have to have uh, SQL 2008 to, to have spatial uh, data? What does yeah, any framework I, do about that? I, you know, I've been wondering this myself. I, I, I think the answer is yes, because I don't know how it's going to work, how it would work out uh, transforming any other, you know, to any other kind of database. Right. And backing up a little bit, be- before we had this, .NET had this, had the support for it. They, it mm-hmm. had the data types. But if you've ever used it, then you may recall that it's not even built into .NET. It's a different assembly. You have to download it. You had to download and install explicitly. Right. So it's like it comes from SQL Server, so it's specifically SQL Server types. Yeah, so, I was about to say that. Isn't that shouldn't that be part of the SQL Server types like like we used to do, where you always had SQL Server data types when you were dealing right. with SQL so, Server? But what I'm just thinking, okay, so if you're using code first, which means you're just defining some classes, yeah, and you use DB geography there, and then you map to an Oracle database. I I don't really know what's going to happen there. I don't know if it'll blow up or what. Or blob it. I mean, there's any number of ways to overcome it, but that actually implements some significant smarts on the entity framework side to deal with that. Uh, act- well, it actually might be dependent on the provider. Mm-hmm. The provider to recognize. So, entity framework will send a graph, uh, a command tree. I'm sorry, a command tree, and say, you know, here's the here's the entity framework data type. Right. It's your job to do the transformation into into store commands for your database. So I don't, I, I, I just don't know. I've actually never until mm, two days ago, mm-hmm. I've never played with spatial data, never done anything with it. Uh, Cause I've really had no need. So now because of this article, I was like, all right, I guess I better roll up my sleeves and start working with it a little bit to see. What's well, and, and it is that. its own particular niche, right? I mean, it's yeah. a thing all by itself that it does take time to sort of get your head around. Although, yeah, but it's I, a really important one. It was mm. a really big, big, uh, uh, highly voted on feature. So now, when you need it, you need it. Yeah, I mean, with you, it's definitely an area, but it really concerns me to have SQL Server data types floating around in any framework at all. Because, you know, we're supposed to be agnostic to this. Like, why Why would we, I may not be using SQL Server. Like, why am I introducing these types? Well, this is, this is what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think it's looked at as a SQL Server data type. Right. It's looked at as a type that Entity Framework supports, but the provider is responsible for interpreting it back and forth to the database. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So C- SQL Server provider that Microsoft wrote knows just what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I, so like an Oracle provider would have to do something. And I haven't looked to see if anybody, if DevArt or anybody like that has done it yet. Um, but, you know, so an, or I, I don't even know what the data types are in Oracle. Do they have, maybe it would just be a blob. So they would have to do the transformation. Yeah, I'm, which I'm is, not sure. I mean, yeah. it's just a naming problem because they, they, I mean, it makes sense that they had spatial data types in the SQL Server namespace. And so they're just using them there. The implication is you need SQL Server, but perhaps that's not the case. 
Ah, well, the, the data types are in, the data type is DB geography and DB geometry, not SQL. And they're in an, in the system.data.spatial namespace. Oh, okay. So it's not, nothing to do with the SQL server types. No, we used to, we used to, um, the SQL server, t- there's something going on underneath. And I think that, um, if it, the data provider is SQL Server, then it's taking advantage of those special types that come in that special assembly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's magic. <laughs> magic happens. Yeah. Uh, Julie, where are we at in terms of CTPs and things that we can download for Entity Framework 5? Um, Entity Framework 5 is... And a release candidate, so it's it's going to follow along with the .NET release cycle. Okay. So they'll they'll release it because it totally depends on .NET 4.5, and you can't take advantage of these new features that are in .NET 4.5 unless you have the new assembly. So it will get it will get released. Okay, but if we have an MSDN uh, universal subscription, we can go download it if we've got our Windows 8 machines and Visual Studio. Oh, good. Then, well, .NET 4.5, you, and I think anybody can get the RC right now. And with the Entity Framework, that's on NuGet. Even the pre-release is on NuGet. Okay. So if you just, if you just, uh, said, told NuGet just to give me regular, you know, give me the latest version of Entity Framework, that's going to by default give you the latest stable release. Okay. But there's also a way to say, I want a pre-release version. And uh, a really important thing, I found this out the hard way. Um, is that because NuGet will eventually, it's just going to have a single download for Entity Framework, but you could be using .NET 4 or .NET 4.5. So that single download pulls down two DLLs, and it will put into your project, it'll make a reference to the correct one. It'll make a reference either to the one that matches up with .NET 4 or the one that matches up with .NET 4.5. So if you're if you're taking a .NET 4 project and update updating it to .NET 4.5, you should change the project's target, the .NET target, before you install Entity Framework. Otherwise, it'll ah. it'll it'll make a reference to the wrong one. Good, good Took deal. Took me a while to figure that out. Yeah, good to know. Uh, anything new in the tools um, that go along with EF, uh, yes. ORM yes, profiler, yes, yes. or the power tools? What's what's new there? Yeah, that, well, the um, Visual Studio 2012, the Entity Data Model Designer, has um, gone through a lot of changes. So yeah. I'm I'm in the middle of I, I you know I haven't used an Entity Data Model an EDMX since Code First came out because I just love using Code First and I haven't had a need to do it. So I haven't hmm. played with the new designer a lot. You're a Poco girl. I, I am <laughs> Poco. I wonder if that aligns with my love for polka dots. <laughs> <laughs> Only you, Julie. <laughs> Wait, wait, they're spelled differently. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So my. The, the designer, um, there's the two big things in the designer are, one, you have an ability now to have different views of a model. So up until now, if you had a model, I, I actually recommend against having a model with a lot of entities in it. There's, um, you know, it's really cumbersome to use. And also for domain-driven design, I kind of like to have smaller models anyway. But if you have a, a whole lot of entities in your model on the design surface, it's really, really hard to manage. So they've done two big things. One is they've made the design surface have multiple windows. So even though you have one model, you can actually create different views of it. So you might only want to look at these things or, uh, you know, in, in a certain context, um, it makes more sense to look at a customer along with their orders and ride items. Whereas in another context, it makes sense to look at a customer and their address and their billing information and their credit card information. So you can build these different visual views it doesn't change the model. It just change. It just changes kind of the maintainability of, or, or the ability to to better maintain that model in the designer. Nice. And the other is that you can co- 
Uh, the other big one is that you can color code things. So again, just ah. when you've got a lot of stuff on there, it's just, you know, it's simple, a simple thing. And we've been saying that for years. Like, can we just have a little color? Then, then there are the little things. And these are the kinds of things that are, um, really in the course of working in the designer. They're, they're really practical, sometimes beyond practical, like really necessary. And they finally got that in there. So, for example, if you're doing database-first design, I loved seeing this change. Uh, normally, in, in the old days, before Visual Studio 2012, when you pointed to a database, the designer would only see the DBO schema. Mm. And that's all you could pick from. Uh, I might be saying that wrong. I'm pretty sure, Yeah. Now, when you do that, it shows you all the objects grouped by all the schemas that they're in. So if you've got, you know, a hundred tables and you've got all kinds of different schemas, I mean, they even do that in AdventureWorks. Oh, right. It's not that they only show you DBO schema. It's just they show you the tables. It's just all the tables. But now what they do is they group them by schema name. Okay. And that's nice. really, I, I think that's really, really handy. So, as soon as you get over 20, 30 tables, that's a huge feature. Yeah. Yeah. And for somebody like me who likes to build smaller models, like I want to have a model that's just about sales. I want to have a model that just has the thing to do with employees. Right. And I've got mm. those named by schemas. Oh my God. Instead of having, you know, all 400 tables there and I have to pick and choose them. It's really, really nice to have them grouped. And another thing that's always I always found annoying when I'm doing model first that's when you start with an empty designer and you build your model and then generate the database from that and I know Richard is a database guy just that possibility is probably an annoyance to you (laughs) magically built the database for me Um, but the if you had even if you're using database first you couldn't reorder properties in an entity whatever order you put them in that's the order that they stay in in the designer you couldn't move them around and and sometimes when you're looking at an entity and you're looking at its properties you want to you know maybe you want to see them alphabetically or maybe you want to sort them in a certain way so now it's you know now it's possible to do that so there all these they're little things right but there's sure. there's a lot of little things like that and each of those little things that gets in your way during the day are really, you know, they add up and make you more and more annoyed. And, you know, <laughs> it adds to the, the uh, liquor bill at the end of the day. <laughs> so um, I, I think all, you know, all kinds of things. So there's a, a lot more little things in there and I'm having fun poking around um, and, and discovering them really, because I haven't, I haven't really seen a list. I know there's lists somewhere. But the list of all the little things they've done, I haven't seen them. So I'm discovering them going, ooh, that's so nice. It's like a little gift. Well, Richard, you know what time it is? Must be that happy time it's again. It's time to give away stuff. I love giving away stuff. We have two things to give away today. Nice. We have a Component 1 Power Suite. Grape City was uh, was Grape City, now our Component 1. Oh, yeah. Our winner for that is Leon Burke from Cheshire in the UK. Congratulations, Leon. Golf clap Golf for clap Leon. Golf clap for you. And the winner of the Telerik Ultimate Collection is Steve Forth. Congratulations. Wow, we just gave away almost $5,000 worth of software right there. Yeah. Did you feel it? I did. I got tingles in my fingertips. It was amazing. We give away stuff every show, and if you want to get in on it, just go to .netrocks.com, click on the Get Free Stuff button, and sign up for the fan club. And every December, we're giving away five grand worth of technology, high technology of the day, and what that will be is yet to be determined. Yep, still wondering, still exploring, still looking at cool new gadgets. You know, I'm trying to get a price on that 85-inch display tablet that Steve Ballmer has at his office. You don't have a tablet that's 85 inches. That's called a television. Yes, well, it's going to be hanging on a wall, but you can touch it. (laughs) That's awesome. And if it's five grand, I'd love to give it to a listener. Oh, my God. When can can I just walk into it? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Would you like to win some stuff? Just drop in on the website at donnetrocks.com. Click on the big link on the right that says get free stuff and we'll hook you up. And thanks to Telerik and Component One for providing this great stuff and uh, being sponsors of our show. Surfing the web?
Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the feature list of actor reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. Well, Julie, uh, what about the power tools? Have you played with the new power tools? Yeah, I've been actually using the power tools a, a lot more recently than I have in the past for, uh, for some reason. Um, and I really, I really like them a lot. They've been around for a while. They, they came out as a beta one and then recently they got updated as a beta two. And I am using them also inside of, uh, Visual Studio 2012. So they're, they're working in 2010 and 2012. I don't know what the plans are for the future for updating it more and taking the beta name off of it, but it doesn't really matter. It's really just for design time features. It's not any, doesn't affect what you're going to be deploying. So you don't have to worry about licenses or anything like that. Um, the two things that I'm using the most in the power tools have to do, of course, for me with code first. Right. The first is, um, I'm, uh, the, the first is funny because the first points to the fact that maybe in the long run, code first is a misnomer. Uh, originally, code first was called code only, yeah. but then they started aligning things so it was easy to understand uh, code first, model first, and database first as a, you know, your three options for designing a model. So that makes sense. But now one of the features of the power tools is that you can point to a database because a lot of us have existing databases, point to a database and reverse engineer into a set of classes in uh, plus fluent, you know, code first fluent API configurations. So it's code and last. Context. Really. <laughs> so it's code, you know, so it's code last again, right? So code only might have made sense. So yeah, we start with the database to get code first. Code anyway. first, test later. Yeah. Whoa. Nice. Oh. Um, so there's, there's, uh, one big thing about that particular feature in the power tools I'm looking forward to, uh, change in. Currently, you point to the, all you do is point to the database and there's nothing else you can do. It just makes a model out of everything in the database. Hmm. So all of the relationships are set in, um, and all, you know, all the constraints are there. Now, I've mentioned a few times that I prefer to build smaller models. So that means that I have to, you know, sometimes those classes aren't exactly how I want them. For example, I mentioned I might have a model where I look at a customer and then their orders and line items, things to do with sales, whereas another I might be looking at a customer and their credit card information and things like that. So if, uh, Code first has pulled customer in and said, Oh, customer has credit cards. It has orders. It has this. It has that. All of a sudden, everything's bound up with each other. So what I do is I actually take that and I, I, uh, let it revert, do the reverse engineering into a completely separate project and solution. And then I just pull things out and modify them as needed. But it still takes me a huge, takes away a huge amount of coding that I would have to do. So that's a really helpful. The other one of the tools in there that helps me enormously, again, because I'm building these small models, is one that lets you visualize what your model is going to look like. So you're building, when you use code first, you create your classes, then you create, a, and your classes have nothing to do with Entity Framework. You just have your classes. Then you create a context, and your context is really the entity framework piece. And you say, okay, I want this context to be responsible for this class, that class, and that class. I want to be able to query customers, and I want to be able to query uh, products or something like that. Um, but there's more to the model than meets the eye. You might specify three classes, but those three classes might have a whole bunch of relationships, and those relationships might have other relationships. So entity framework, as it builds up 
its definition of the model pulls in anything that is reachable by any of the other classes in your model. So all of a sudden you may think you have a model with only three classes represented in it, but it turns out you've got 37, right? So um, it's really hard to know what's going on in that scenario. And I love being able to visualize it. So I can just in the solution explorer, I can right click on my context class and say, show me the EDMX and it's a read only, you know, so you can't design in the designer and design and have code first at the same time. You do one or the other. So what this does, it gives you a read only version of the EDMX file. So no code generation is being done on it. Uh, you have to do some trickery if you actually want to save it, right? So I use it to really have a picture of everything that Entity Framework is interpreting will go into my model. And then I can go back and adjust things as necessary until I get the model really to what I want it to be. So I'd love, I really love that as the power tool. There's uh, a couple other features in there. One is uh, helping something to do with performance where you can do something called pre-generating views, which you had to do originally with a command line. Um, and also something there's a T4 template for. So it's nice to be able to right-click and, and make that happen. i uh, try to think of what else is in there. Anyway, so, you know, that, back to the short answer. Yeah, I use the power tools. I really <laughs> love them. <laughs> Very cool. Well, and are they actually separate from what you get in Studio? Yeah, you uh, download them through the extension manager. Okay. And since since they're still beta... Right. So they, ha I, I imagine that eventually they might uh, blend them into Visual Studio, but there's still more work to do. And, uh, and the Entity Framework team's really grooving on this whole idea of the more agile releases and not being bound to Visual Studio and .NET release cycle. Right. So, you know, this is another another way for them to do that. I got a question off of Twitter uh, asking uh, what the differences are with Entity Framework 5 between .NET 4 and 4.5. Can you use EF5 with .NET 4? You, you can, but what you have to understand is you're not really, you're not really going to buy anything. Okay. Um, this is, this is where you get the, uh, you know, when you down, when you get the new get package, and there's actually two assemblies in there. It'll see that you're using .NET 4, and right. it'll pull in the assembly that's designed for .NET 4. Uh, they still call it Entity. For, you know, the assembly version number is uh, Entity is 4.4.0.0. Okay. And it's it's remembering stupid things like that. That is the reason I can't remember more important things. Yeah. Sometimes. Right. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> But it, that sounds like a lot of the the goodness, like the the enumerations and stuff, aren't going to work in four then, right? Because the 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 enums are built into .NET, not right. into the NuGet package. The spatial support is built into .NET, not into the NuGet package. But you do get the performance. You get the performance if .NET four five is on the machine that is running. Entity framework. Oh, I see. You still need .NET 4.5. Yeah, but, but think about this. You can develop your application using .NET 4. You're not using .NET 4.5 at all. But when you put it on a machine that happens to have .NET 4.5 installed, that machine will benefit from the performance. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But you me. can't code. You, but since you're targeting .NET 4, you can't code against the enums. Right. So it really sounds like you want to do this in 4.5. If you want if you want the, the new code features, if you want yeah. the enum support and the spatial. But, what's, but I highly encourage people who are, you know, it's going to be a while before they can move to the latest and the greatest. Sure. But if they can at least get their end users or, you know, the servers with putting .NET 4.5 on them, they'll get the performance without touching their applications. Right, 
But and well, and like you said, huge. for the most part, Entity Framework lives in the server anyway, so it's that's a well, much easier upgrade. <laughs> it oughta. <laughs> it, yeah, I guess it oughta. I mean, you know, I I've got lots of content out there with, um, you know, I'm using, well, I'm using, uh, writing demoware, right? I'm writing little, you know, manage my record collection applications. Sure. I know that makes me sound really old manage my mp3 collection or whatever it is <laughs> these days what is this um, mp3 you speak of <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know i mean you can build it a wpf or windows forms client-side application if you're building a client-side application right and you're using you know client-side database and everything's going to live on the box then yeah it'll it'll be there but if you're building an enterprise application and you're, you know, you're really building in a layered architecture, then any framework is going to be in the bottom layer. Period. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Or else. <laughs> or, uh, I'm gonna, or, yeah, or don't ask me why your performance sucks. Have you, have you done much experimentation with Windows 8 and working with Entity Framework? I haven't. I have, uh, so you mean like really RT, like, the yeah. open RT. No, because, you know, to me, all that means is calling uh, OData. Right. That's Which, all I it mean, is. It, it sounds <laughs> like Microsoft is basically making it unavoidable in the Metro world to keep Entity Framework off the client machine. Right. Right. There's no, there's no system.data.entity or system.data. Right. Yeah. Yet. Like, I don't, you know... Today, what we know and what we see. I so, is know. that a bad thing? It's it's a good thing if your goal is to have mobile applications, mm-hmm. is to be totally portable. It's a it's a bad thing if you want to write client applications, right? But I mean, you can always run in the quote classic mode. All of it's going to work over there. Right. But if you want to build Metro apps, you've got to call to OData, and that's naturally going to push EF back to the server, where I think you opened the show saying it belongs. Right. Right. It, it belongs in the server, but I don't want to discount the need for client-side applications. Right. Yeah, you know, like QuickBooks. Although I hear QuickBooks eventually is going to go to a totally server model, you know, SSAS or cloud yeah. or whatever model someday anyway. But you know, I've got QuickBooks and Quicken on my computers. I don't mm-hmm. need a server. I want, you know, I have my data right there and my data yeah. access happening all right there. But Julie, I need but, you to be more dependent Richard. on your internet connection. <laughs> I need you to care. I want your computer to be completely useless when you have no internet connection. It'll do nothing. Right. <laughs> you know, I remember back in, what was it, 2000 when... When they were, t- there was a different name for it than the cloud, but there was all this talk about putting, a- you know, putting all your data application service providers, uh, ASPs. There was there was a there was a name for it, and I was like, no, this is too scary. Like, don't make me pay to get my data. I want my right. data right here on my computer. You know, so they just wait. They stood, stepped back a few years and quietly, you know, changed things and then presented us it to yeah. us in a prettier way. Yes, it's you don't. You don't like application service providers. I'll, I'll give you. How about some cloud? You like cloud? cloud. Some SaaS to the cloud, <laughs> like a hero, superhero to the cloud. <laughs> how about some pass? <laughs> some pass and what? some SaaS. Yes. <laughs> I'll give you some SaaS. Oh, that was a long time ago, 2000. That was, when, that was when we still had money in the bank, right? Weird. Stocks. Uh, <laughs> Stock market, remember that? <laughs> yeah, now you're just talking crazy talk. Yeah, watch out. I'm going to bring those MP3s up again. <laughs> so I guess the shipping schedule for this is pretty clear. When Entity, Entity Framework uh, will ship, when .NET 4 5 ships will be whenever Microsoft decides to ship Windows 8. Right. And didn't Jason Zander tweet something about that the other day? Yeah. Like yesterday? Something like that. Yeah. So, so, first- so you know, Entity Framework, most of Entity Framework is built into .NET, the core of Entity Framework and all its real functionality, but the good stuff that you want to code against 
is what you get in the entity framework package that you get from NuGet. Mm-hmm. So that's where code first is, and that's where the DB context is. Even if you're using a designer, if you're starting a new application, I definitely, definitely use the DB context. It's a much simpler surface to code against, and all that complexity that's in the object context, you mostly don't need it. And if you need it, you can get to it. Are there any more gotchas that we're failing to mention? Maybe not big gotchas, but little ones that you might have come across? With respect to what, Entity Framework 5? Yeah. Well, I think for me, my biggest gotcha that was a real time sucker was the not understanding that um, why I wasn't getting all the nice new features. And it was because I had changed my... Uh, I had changed the target of my project from .NET 4 to .NET 4.5 after I had installed Entity Framework. Oh. That, oh, I just think. I, 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 sorry, I can't think of any off the top of my head. There's probably a million that I've been bitching about on Twitter, but I just can't think of them right now. Nice. Is that a show? I think it is. Julie, thanks very much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Always, always fun. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.